Chapter Thirty Two of The Trail of the Hawk. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Trail of the Hawk by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Thirty Two. For a week, the week before Christmas, Carl had seen neither Ruth nor Gertie, but of the office he had seen too much. They were rushing work on the Togar car to have it on the market early in 1913. Every afternoon or evening he left the office with his tongue scaly from too much nervous smoking, poked dully about the streets, not much desiring to go any place, nor to watch the crowds. After all, the curiosity had been drawn out of him by hours of work. Several times he went to a supermovie, a cinema palace on Broadway, above 72nd Street, with an entrance in New York colonial architecture, and crowds of well-to-do Jewish girls in opera cloaks. On the two bright mornings of the week he wanted to play truant from the office, to be off with Ruth over the hills and far away. Both mornings there came to him a picture of Gertie, wanting to slip out and play like Ruth, but having no chance. He felt guilty because he had never bidden Gertie to come tramping, and, and guiltily he recalled that it was with her that the boy Carl had gone to seek out fortunes. He told himself that he had been depending upon Gertie for the bread and butter of friendship, and begging for the opportunity to give the stranger, Ruth Winslow, dainties of which she already had too much. When he called Sunday evening, he found Gertie alone, reading a love story in a woman's magazine. "'So glad you came,' she said. "'I was getting quite lonely.' She was as gratefully casual as ever. "'Say, Gertie, I've got a plan.' Wouldn't you like to go for some good long hikes in the country? Oh, yes, that would be fine when spring comes. No, I, I mean now in the winter. She looked at him heavily. Why, isn't it pretty cold, don't you think? He prepared to argue, but did not think of her as looking heavily. He did not draw swift comparisons between Gertie's immobility and Ruth's lightness. He was used to Gertie, was in her presence comfortably understanding and understood could find whatever he expected in her as easily as one finds the editorial page or the sporting page in a familiar newspaper. He merely became mildly contentious and made questioning noises in his throat as she went on. You know, it's pretty cold here. You can say all you want about the cold and all that in Minnesota. But really, the humidity? Rats, it isn't so very cold. Not if you walk fast. Well, maybe, anyway. I guess... It would be nice to explore some. All right, let's. I do think people are so conventional, don't you? Said Gertie, while Carl discernently stole one of Ray's best cigars out of the humidor. Awfully conventional, not going out for good long walks. Dorothy Gibbons and I did find the nicest place to walk up in the Bronx Park. And there's such a dear little restaurant right on the water. Of course, the water was frozen but it seemed quite wild, you know, for New York. We might take that walk whenever you'd like to. Oh, Bronx Park. Gee, Gertie, I can't get up much excitement over that. I want to get away from this tame city and forget all about offices and parks and people and everything like that. N -n -n now she clucked in a patronizing way. We mustn't ask New York to give us wilderness, you know. I'm afraid that would be a little too much to ask of it. Don't you think so yourself? Carl groaned to himself. I won't be mothered. He was silent. His silence was positively noisy. 
He wanted to her to hear it. But it is difficult to be sulky with a bland, plump woman of thirty, who remembers your childhood trick of biting your nails, and glances up at you from her embroidery, occasionally patting her brown silk hair or smoothing her brown silk waist in a way which implies a good digestion a perfect memory of morning's lessons of her Sunday-school class, and a mild disbelief in men, as anything except relatives, providers, card-players, and nurslings. Carl gave up the silence cure. He hummed about the room, running over the advertising pages of magazines, discussing plateau fraternities, and waiting till it should be time to go home. Their conversation kept returning to the fraternities, there wasn't much else to talk about. Before tonight they had done complete justice to all other topics—Jeroleman, Benny Rusk, Joe Jordan's engagement, Adelaide Benner, and symphony concerts. Gertie embroidered, patted her chair, smoothed her waist, looked cheerful, rocked and spoke, embroidered, patted her chair, smoothed her sleeve, looked amiable, rocked and spoke, embroidered, pat. At a quarter to ten Carl gave himself permission to go said he. I'll have to get on the job pretty early tomorrow. Not much taking it easy here in New York, the way you can in Jerome, eh? So I guess I'd better. I'm sorry you have to go so early. Gertie carefully stuck her embroidery needle into her doily, rolled it up the doily meticulously, laid it down in the center table, straightened the pile of magazines which Carl had deranged, and rose. But I'm glad you could drop up this evening. Come up any time. You don't have anything better to do. Oh, what about our tramp? If you know some place that is better than Bronx Park, we might try it. Why, uh, yes, why, sure. We'll have to sometime. And, Carl, you're coming up to have Christmas turkey with us, aren't you? I'd like to, a lot, but, darn it, I've accepted another invitation. That was absolutely untrue, and Carl was wondering why he had lied. When the storm broke, Gertie's right arm effectively held out from the elbow, the hand drooping in the attitude of a refined hostess saying good-bye, dropped stiffly to her side. Slowly she thrust out both arms, shoulder-high on either side. With her fists clenched, her head back and slightly on one side, her lips open in agony, the position of crucifixion. Her eyes looked up, unseeing, then closed tight. She drew a long breath, like a sigh that was too weary for sound, and her plump, placid left hand clutched her panting breast, while her right arm dropped again. All the passion of tragedy seemed to shrink in her hopeless gesture, and her silence was a wall muffled and despairing. Carl stared, twisting his watch-chain with nervous fingers, wanting to flee. It was raw woman with all the properties of Jeroleman and St. Orgel's cut away, who spoke, her voice constantly rising. Oh, Carl, Carl, why, why, why? Why don't you want me to go walking with you now? Why don't you want to go anywhere with me any more? Have I displeased you? Oh, I didn't mean to. Why do I bore you so? Oh, Gertie, gee, thunder, whimpered a dismayed youth. A more mature Hawk Erickson struggled to life and soothed her. Gertie, honey, I didn't mean... Listen. But she moaned on, standing rigid, her left hand on her breast, her eyes red, 
moist, frightened, fixed. We always played together, and I thought here in the city we could be such good friends, with all the different new things to do together. Why, I wanted us to go to Chinatown and theaters, and I would have been so glad to pay my share. I've just been waiting and hoping you would ask me, and I wanted us to play and see so many different new things together. It would have been so sweet, so sweet. We were good friends at first, and then you, you didn't want to come here any more, and, oh, I couldn't help seeing it more and more and more and more. I've been seeing it, but I didn't want to see it, but now I can't fool myself any more. I was so lonely till you came tonight, and when you spoke about tramping, and then it seemed like you just went away from me again. Why, Gertie, you didn't seem... And long ago I really saw it, the day we walked in the park, and I was wicked about trying to make you call me Eltura, Carl, dear. Indeed, you needn't call me that or anything you don't like. And I tried to make you say I had a temperament and about Adelaide and all, and you went away, and I thought you would come back to me that evening. Oh, I wanted you to come so much. You didn't even phone, and I waited up till after midnight. Hoping you'd phone, I kept thinking surely you would, and you never did, you never did. And I listened and listened for the phone to ring, and every time there was a noise. But it never was you, it never rang at all. She dropped back in the Morris chair, her eyes against the cushion, her hair disordered, both her hands gripping the left arm of the chair, her sobs throat-catching and long throb, throb, throb in the death-still air. Carl stared at her, praying for a chance to escape. Then he felt an instinct prompting him to sob with her. Pity, embarrassment, disgust mingled with his alarm. He became amazed that Gertie, easy-going Gertie Cowles, had any passion at all, and indignant that it was visited upon himself. But he had to help. He moved her chair and, squatting boyishly on its arm, stroked her hair, begging, Gertie, Gertie. I did mean to come up that night. Indeed I did, honey. I would have come up, but I met some friends. Couldn't break away from them all evening. A chill ran between his shoulder blades. It was a shock to the pride he took in Ruth's existence. The evening in question had found Ruth for him. It seemed as though Gertie had dared with shrewish shrillness to intrude upon his beautiful hour. But pity came to him again. Stroking her hair, he went urgently on, don't you see why, blessed, I wouldn't hurt you for anything? Just tonight, why, you remember first thing I wanted us to plan for some walks? Reason I didn't say more about it was I didn't know as you'd want to, much. Why, Gertie, anybody would be proud to play with you. You know so much about concerts and all sorts of stuff. Anybody'd be proud to. He wound up with a fictitious cheerfulness. We'll have some good long hikes together, eh? It's better now, isn't it, Kitty? You're just tired tonight. Has something been worrying you? Tell old Carl all about it. She wiped her tears away with the adorable gesture of a child trying to be good, and like a child's was her glance, bewildered, hurt, yet trusting, as she said in a small, shy voice, Would folks really be proud to play with me? We did used to have some dear times, didn't we? Do you remember how we found some fool's gold, and we thought it was gold, and hid it on the shore of the lake, 
and we were going to buy a ship. Do you remember? You haven't forgotten all our good times while you've been so famous, have you? Oh, no, no. But why don't, Carl, why don't you, why can't you care more now? Why well, do care? You're one of the bulliest pals I have, you and Ray. And Ray. She flung his hand away and sat bolt upright, angry. Carl retired to a chair beside the Morris chair, fidgeting. Can you beat it? Is this Gertie and me? He inquired in a parenthesis in his heart. For a second, as she stared haughtingly at him, he spitefully recalled the fact that Gertie had once discarded him for a glee club dentist. But he submerged the thought and listened with a rather forced big brother air as she repented of her anger and went on. Carl, don't you understand how hard it is for a woman to forget her pride this way? The hot air of being one of the elite of Jerusalem again flashed out. Maybe if you'll think real hard, you remember I used to could get you to be so kind to talk to me without having to beg you so hard. Why, I'd been here to New York and known the nicest people before you'd ever stirred a foot out of Jerusalem. You were, oh, please forgive me, Carl. I didn't mean to be snippy. I just don't know what to think of myself, and I did used to think I was a lady, and here I am, practically up and telling you, and— She leaned from her chair towards his, and took his hand, touching it, finding its hard, bony places and the delicate white follows of flesh between his coarsened yet shapely fingers, tracing a scarce-seen vein on the back, exploring a well-beloved yet ill-known country. Carl was unspeakably disconcerned. He was thinking that, to him, Gertie was set aside from the number of women who could appeal physically, quite as positively as though she were some old aunt, who had for twenty years seemed to be the same adult, plump, uninteresting age. Gertie's solid flesh, the monotony of her voice, the unimaginative fixture of her round cheeks, a certain increasing slackness about her waist even the faint, stuffy, domestic scent of her. They all expressed to him her lack of humor and fancy and venturesomeness. She was crystallized in his mind as a good friend, with a plain soul and sisterly tendencies, awkwardly said. You mustn't talk like that, gee, Gertie. We'll be in a regular scene if you don't watch out. We're just good friends, and you can always bank on me, same as I would on you. But why must we be just friends? He wanted to be rude, but he was patient, mechanically stroking her hair again, leaning forward most uncomfortably from his chair. He stammered, uh, I've been, oh, you know, I've wandered around so much that it's kind of put me out of touch with even my best friends, and I don't know where I'm at. I couldn't make any alliances. Gee, that sounds affected. I mean, I've got to sort of start in now all over, finding where I'm at. But why must we be just friends, then? Listen, child, it's hard to tell. I guess I didn't know till now what it does mean. But there's a girl. Wait, listen. There's a girl. At first I simply thought it was good fun to know her. But now, Lord Gertie, you'd think I was pretty sentimental if I told you what I think of her. God, I want her so much right now. I haven't let myself know how much I wanted her. She's everything. 
She's sister and chum and wife and everything. It's... But I am glad for you. Will you believe that? And perhaps you understand how I felt now. I'm very sorry I let myself go. I hope you will. Oh, please go now. He sprang up, only too ready to go, but first he kissed her hand with a courtly reverence, and said with a sweetness new to him, Dear, will you forgive me if I've ever hurt you? And will you believe how very, very much I honor you? And when I see you again, there won't be... We'll both forget all about tonight, won't we? We'll just be the old Carl and Gertie again. Tell me to come when... Yes, I will. Good night. Good night, Gertie. God bless you. He never remembered where he walked that night when he had left Gertie. The exercise, the chill of the night, gradually set his numbed mind working again. But it dwelt with Ruth, not with Gertie. Now that he had given words to his longing for Ruth, to his pride in her, he understood that he had passed the hidden border of that misty land called being in love, which cardiographers have variously described as a fruitful tract of comfortable harvests, as a labyrinth with walls of rose and silver, and as a trendless realm of unhappy ghosts. He stopped on a street corner where, above a saloon with a large beer sign, stretched dim tenement windows toward a dirty sky. And on that drab corner glowed for a moment the mystic light of the rose of all the world, before a Tammany saloon, chin high, yearning toward a girl somewhere off to the south. Carl Pornil recalled how Ruth had worshipped the stars. His soul soared lark and hawk in one triumphant over the matter-of-factness of daily life carl ericson the mechanic standing in front of a saloon with a laundry to one side and cigars and stationery shop around a corner was one with the young priest saying mass one of the suffragist women defying a jeering mob one with ruth winslow listening to the ringing stars god help me to be worthy of her nothing more did he say in words yet he was changed forever changed true that when he got home half an hour later and in the dark ran his nose against an open door he said damn it very naturally true that on monday back in the office that awaits its victims equally after sunday's golden or dreary he forgot Ruth's existence for hours at a time. True that at lunch with two Van Zyl automobile salesmen he ate Wienerschnitzel and shot dice for cigars, with no signs of a mystic change. It was even true that dining in the Breverut with Charlie Forbes he thought of Istra Nash, and for a minute was lonely for Istra's artistic dissipation. Yet the change was there. End of chapter 32